0: You know, I was a grad student studying theology, and all of these caddies who were just great folks, but they were going to Atlantic City every weekend, having a, a good time. They had genuine questions, and when we go to a bar together, they'd, they'd totally open up, and there were some of the best conversations I ever had. So, I don't have a whole lot of expectations for this time, but I, I'm hopeful that we'll have um, great questions and and just a great conversation. So. Um, we are super grateful for the folks at Henry's on the market for having us. They've been kind enough, to, kind enough to let us use this room, which is awesome, for free. So please drink up and tip well. That would be awesome, actually, so we can keep doing this. Uh, what are some of the other topics that we're addressing? So this will hopefully be the first of every other week in the summer in, in, Febu- um, in February. <laughs> on Wednesdays. <laughs> this summer in yeah. February, yes. On, on it's going to be On great. Wednesdays, yeah. We will be uh, looking at things. I think next time, talking about loneliness. Talk about a pandemic that's brought all these things—anxiety, loneliness—to the forefront of our minds. Um, questions about ethics, you know, relationships. All these things uh, are just substantial stuff that we just wanted to talk about and, and, and hear from y'all. So um, tonight's anxiety, though,
1: mm-hmm. um, and why would we talk about anxiety, Brian? <laughs> well. I think we would talk about anxiety for a lot of reasons Uh, and I just have to say it was very amusing tonight, I don't know how many of you saw the sign right when you came up the stairs um, that was, it was like they must have heard what we were talking about. Um, The sign from the restaurant just says don't think, go drink or something like that, Um, sorry. (laughs) But it was a great setup because we live in a culture that is full of anxiety. And one of the things that's been interesting is, particularly during the pandemic, there's been this massive increase in levels of anxiety. And I'm sorry to tell y'all, your age group is at the highest place in the history since they've kept records of anxiety. And that's related to a number of different things. But the chief causes of anxiety, according to these surveys from the American Psychological Association, People are really worried about their future. They're worried about their job. They're worried about money. They're worried about whether they're going to be a success or not. So there are those troubling things. Um, There are also some statistics about people are are trying to medicate that anxiety, and that is causing a whole other raft of issues in people's lives um, that are uh, not what I think any of us would want in our lives or in the lives of people that we love. But the other thing that's interesting uh, for people that are in your generation is that if you look kind of at the rates of uh, anxiety, stress, all of those kinds of things, look at the rates of loneliness and inability to feel like you're really connected and emotionally supported, and look at the rates of time spent on uh, cell phones, those are all almost exactly the same curve. And it's hard to know if there's a causal relationship there, but it's just interesting to note.
0: Yeah. So I, I'm one of the things that I do is I've worked with college students, young adults. Uh, I spent three years in Clemson, um, where I was doing college ministry there, and it was just overwhelming. I mean, I I, I know anxiety is the number one mental health disorder uh, that it, that it's um, being diagnosed right now, but it was pretty much it wasn't like uh, if it was just to what degree you were anxious. I felt like when I was with folks um, who are you know, on college campuses, that sort of thing. I don't know if y'all saw the French Open or whatever. That was just recently with, um, I mean, that was over the weekend with Naomi Osaka who withdrew because of all the anxiety with the media and everything mm-hmm. right there. So, I mean, it's, it, it really is, it, it almost goes without saying why we would talk about such a thing. But um, what hope would you give? I mean, how, how do you actually go about Um, diagnosing anxiety and obviously we're not mental health professionals I mean we're not like counselors Uh, we're we're priests but um, we do encounter folks all the time who are struggling with that so um, what sort of help uh, I mean for maybe go stepping back like what sorts of things have you seen anxiety in maybe what are some of those prevalent things uh, that people are anxious over
1: Uh, I think that's a great question I think there, there are a lot of things everybody's stress and anxiety feels very personal Um, to that person. Um, But I would say broadly with people that I talk with, because I've talked with a lot of different folks through my role at the church, um, there's a lot of anxiety about relationships. There's anxiety about family relationships and stresses within family, um, particularly people who are um, like y'all in that stage of trying to establish your independence and still having a good relationship with your family, but trying to be your own person. There's anxiety around that. There's so much anxiety around career, um, because your generation, I think, more than when I was coming along in school, there's been such an emphasis on you have to succeed, you have to have an impressive job, you have to, have to, have to, to, there are all these have to's, and nobody can achieve all those things, and so then there's anxiety um, if you haven't accomplished that. Um, There's anxiety about money, Particularly if you've grown up in a family that was comfortable and then all of a sudden you're on your own and your standard of living is not uh, like what you were used to. Um, and then there's anxiety about spiritual stuff about what do I believe? What is ultimate truth for me? Um, what do I believe the purpose of my life is? You know, all these purpose and meaning questions are so important, but when you don't know what you believe, there's a lot of anxiety around that as well. Yeah.
0: Um, so in dealing with folks, what kind of help have you tried to give people who feel anxious? I mean, that's such a wide, because I mean, every, as you said, everybody's anxiety can be different, but um, what sort of good news or help is there from a Christian perspective when it comes to anxiety?
1: Well. Um, the way you put that, it reminds me, there's a great scene in the, the line, the witch in the wardrobe, uh, Chronicles of Narnia, no <laughs> um, in the movie, where um, the beavers are with the children, sorry, this, I'm going along with this, um, the beavers are with the children, and um, I hope some of y'all have read that story, and they're saying, well, you know, everything is basically going to hell in a handbasket." and um, Mrs. Beaver says, well, you know, there's always hope, but in a... <laughs> that really sounded more like you might as well just abandon hope and her husband like smacks her and says there's a right bit more than hope Aslan is on the move and the point that he's trying to make is that uh, if you truly believe that God is a personal God who loves you and made you in his image there's enormous hope in that But I think one of the first things that's so important, if somebody came to see me, the first thing would be just to listen. So I think a lot of people don't have anyone who really listens. Uh, We all like to talk um, and we like to have noise uh, going, but we don't have a lot of people that will listen and listen compassionately and well. And I think that's something that we're called to as Christians and called to as ministers, called to, to do that for each other in the body of Christ. So listening profoundly I think is hugely important. And then the second thing is to just think about what is it that you really believe um, about God and about your life and its purpose. And I'm gonna use two sort of scary words here uh, that uh, Justin and I were talking about earlier this week, but I think they're really helpful. And the words are mimetic and poetic, uh, which don't worry if you've never heard of either of those before. But Mimetic basically describes the way the world was maybe up until the 1850s or so. And it's the idea, if you live primarily in an agricultural kind of world, um, you know that your ability to grow crops doesn't depend just on you. There are huge things like rain, weather, drought, all of these things that you have no control over. And your job, if you're a farmer, is to fit yourself in into the givenness of the universe. You may want to go and plant uh, something that requires lots and lots of water in Charleston in August. Uh, but if you did that uh, you know, prior to the 1850s, everything would die because you, there's a givenness about creation. And so people fitted themselves into that givenness. And what's happened now, and that's what's called a mimetic world. We're now in a poietic world, which basically means that all the responsibility feels like it's on you to make your own world, to make your own identity, to make your own purpose. And that there there are so many options and we through technology and everything else have been able to um, overcome or think we've overcome the givenness of the world. But the fact of the matter is, it's all it takes, if you've ever been in Charleston after a hurricane, or if you live in the north and there's been a big ice storm and you lose all power and you can't drive anywhere, all of a sudden you realize that this whole poietic, we're in control of everything, is just an illusion. So I think, thinking about that, thinking about who do you believe Jesus is, who do you believe God is, Um, Do you think it's just good advice about how to live, or is there a real person who wants to be in relationship with you? Those are all questions that are important. And, you know, of course, the base question when you're listening is what's contributing to this anxiety? When do you feel it? What does it feel like? Um, Where are the times that you feel joy and you don't feel stress? You know, all those kinds of things. Yeah.
0: You mentioned one of the things that I think goes unspoken a lot in our culture. that's operating really under the surface which is the existential angst of trying to create your own meaning in life it's trying to you have to follow your heart do, you know find what it is that you really are if you i mean asking folks like who are you what, what you know what are you passionate about it's crazy how many times i meet with folks and they have no idea what they're passionate about what they want to do and there's angst with that there's anxiety with trying to cultivate and figure out Um, If all of life is about just figuring out who you are and expressing that, there is a lot of pressure behind that. And when people don't measure up to that, no wonder there's a lot of angst to it and anxiety.
1: Well, and I think the other thing that really builds on that is that the way our uh, education system is structured, and congratulations to all of y'all that just graduated from Boston College (laughs) and other places. Um, But the way our education system is structured, the whole point of it is to like get a job. It's not about um, asking big questions about how to live a meaningful life. Maybe a little bit in Catholic colleges, but uh, by and large, it's about getting a job. And the problem for a lot of people is you've been conditioned to think, well, I need to get a job where I can make a lot of money. And if I've got several offers, I want the job where I can make the most money. But the problem is the desire of your soul and your heart might be for things that have nothing to do with your job. And then you go and you're having to spend 80 hours a week doing something that you feel like is sucking your soul out every day. And so you've got this dissonance between where your heart wants to go and what you feel like you have to do for your job. And that obviously causes a lot of anxiety. I
0: think one of the things that, for me, um, I appreciated about the Christian faith was that it teaches that God made man both body and soul. Mm-hmm. And I've seen um, maybe two extremes and two things that I would want to avoid with the whole topic of anxiety being on the one hand that this is purely just a physiological issue, that it's just your body uh, and that's all it is. And I feel like to like the secular person, that's probably where they're going to go. They're just, give me the medication. This is just purely my body. Um, I don't want to address maybe the, the heart issue, the the spiritual component underneath. Then you also have things that maybe the church has perpetuated which it's viewing it primarily as a spiritual right. issue that if you just pray hard enough, if you just do your part spiritually enough, you'll be you all better. You shouldn't right. be anxious. But the and Christian, if you still are, don't come to church anymore. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But the Christian message is that humans are both body and soul. And because of that, we experience both anxiety because of yeah, our bodies are actually, we believe, fallen. We we are have bodies that are um, sinful, and so we have things that the world is not as they should be in in our bodies and in our souls. And so I think that's important as we talk about anxiety, um, recognizing that the solution isn't just to focus purely on the body, nor purely on the soul, but mm-hmm. it's it's both of those. And that was freeing, I think, for me, maybe coming from a more spiritual background. I grew up in the church, that sort of thing, but... Realizing that, like, yeah, actually, um, our bodies are play a significant role, and something you alluded to earlier, like, it, our bodies keep score over time. Living in this frenetic world, you you can't just drink five Red Bulls and five coffees a day and expect, you know, things to be be okay. If like that's not the way you were designed. Yeah. Um. And so your body will keep score, and it will. The one way to express that is. The anxiety that that so many feel today I think.
1: yeah yeah i think that's exactly right that's one of the reasons i love jesus's sermon on the mount which you know most people would say that's jesus's most famous teaching um even gandhi who was a, not a christian by any stretch of the imagination he kept one book in his little cell he had a little bed and a chair and a little bedside table and the book he had was the sermon on the mount because he said it was the most sublime teaching in the history of the human race but interestingly, when you read the Sermon on the Mount as a whole, uh, which I'd encourage you to do sometimes, not that long, um, the centerpiece of it is this whole part about anxiety, where Jesus says, do not worry, and he says it like four or five times right in a row. And the interesting thing about it is he says, do not worry about what you will wear, what you will eat, you know, all of these kinds of sort of practical things that for us would translate into what your job is, how you're going to get money for these things, but he says, seek first the kingdom of God, and all these other things will be added to you, and I think for a lot of us, the problem is we get our priorities mixed up, we're going after the wrong thing, and part of what Jesus says to people, and I think we miss this part sometimes, right in the middle of all this part about anxiety, he says, consider the lilies of the field, and he says, consider the birds of the air, and most of us are like, where's the practical, where's the go-to, what's the formula that I can use to not be anxious. But I think there's a really deep truth there that's important because one of the, going back to Tolkien, one of the things Tolkien used to say that was gonna be the curse of the modern age was that people were going to wake up in ugly little dark apartments that were boxy rooms. They were going to get up before dawn and get into a boxy little car and drive to an ugly office without a window and work all day long in it. And then they were going to, at the dark, go back out to their ugly little boxy car and go back to their ugly little boxy apartment. I'm not saying that's anyone's (laughs) life in here. um, But he said, that is Satan detaching us from God's creation. Because when you go outside and you actually like stare and consider a tree, or you look at the beauty of a sunset, you look at things that are bigger than yourself, it begins to start giving you some perspective. And the other thing that he says there that's so important that is the summation of that part on anxiety is do not be anxious about tomorrow let the troubles of the day be sufficient thereof, tomorrow will take care of itself. And so much of the anxiety that I think all of us experience is worrying about the future. And I don't know, has anybody in here ever worried? Possibly. Um, (laughs) Did it accomplish a lot for you doing all that worrying? Probably not. Um, But the fact of the matter is we do it anyway. But what Jesus says, is to live, and it's not YOLO, that's not what he's saying. Um, <laughs> he, he's saying that the day that you've been given is like this precious gift. You know, it's an amazing thing to be able to breathe the air and feel the wind on your cheek and feel the warmth of the sun and all of those kinds of things. And we get so focused on these anxious futures that we may not ever even experience that we, we lose track Um, of the things that are sort of the framework of reality. And we miss the day because we're so worried about the future. Yeah,
0: Yeah, uh, the other... um, So looking to God, who... I I think at the root of anxiety is, as you said, it's future-oriented always. It's thinking the worst possible scenario about the future. And it's rooted, I think, in a view that it's up to me to to find security... And I've got to control this, yeah. as opposed to at, at, at root, it doesn't believe that God is actually in in charge and that He cares for you. Right. Um, and so the solution to it, as you said, Jesus invites us to consider all the other aspects of creation uh, where He has provided for. Um, one of my favorite stories in the Old Testament, Exodus 16, where He's led Israel out mm-hmm. of out of Egypt and they're grumbling in the <laughs> wilderness and They were like, it would have been better for us to die back in Egypt. And it's like, well, no, you were in slavery for (laughs) hundreds of years. But um, it was basically, um, they're saying we have no food. And so what God does is um, he says, well, I'll I'll provide food for you. But the trick here is not he doesn't just give them two years of food to just lock up and store. It's actually only a day by day sort of thing, because we know that if we had everything, the moment you have security you're not really worried about God but God is interested in forming a relationship and so the whole point of manna from heaven when he oh, provides yeah. this bread daily, uh, they were they're told to collect only just enough for that day, they could have as much as they wanted just for that day and by the night it, it rotted and went away and I think the manna principle towards anxiety is much like you're saying Jesus inviting us to consider the lilies of the field but it's focusing on all the ways he has provided for us and that he will give us what we need for that day and and being able to say you know what that's enough and every one of us i think it's like no just give me a little bit more so i can <laughs> have for tomorrow because and we just don't function that yeah. way i think our hearts fundamentally believe if if we don't do it nobody it's else will.
1: It's not going to happen. Yeah. yeah. I think that's exactly right. That story that you were saying from Exodus, you know, prefigures what Jesus says in the lord's prayer which all of us can recite but we may not think a lot about what it means but he says give us this day our daily bread and it's that whole idea of being in dependence on god and some of y'all may know um the mumford song the cave um that talks about come out of the cave walking on your hands Um, when you see uh, dependence you will understand the maker's hand Um, and it's getting at the same idea about dependence on god and jesus also says man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And um, I personally uh, do a very good job of making sure I have three meals a day, uh, as you can probably tell. Uh, But it's also important to realize that we should be feeding ourselves spiritually. And I just encourage you to think about how much time do you put into figuring out what you're gonna eat for your meals, going to the store, figuring out what restaurant you're gonna go to, you know, all of that kind of stuff versus how much time do you put into feeding your spiritual life? And then we wonder why our spiritual life doesn't seem like it's got a lot of vitality. Well, just imagine like if you ate a raisin every day and that was all you ever ate, you would probably not be feeling great or having much energy. So I think that's another part of that principle is to make sure that you are feeding all of who you are, not just your body, but feeding your soul as well.
0: Well, we have a ton of questions, actually. I just looked here I was like, All oh my right, goodness. All right, great. This is great. So I like some of these. What are some fun things to do in Charleston?
1: <laughs> <laughs> I love no, this, question, this no is, questions off limits here. This is mean, top rated by uh, <laughs> TripAdvisor. Number one attraction is uh, Theology on Tap in yeah. Henry's, hey, Henry's hey, Whiskey and Room. Worry, um, failing that, the best, the best advice, we used to own a bed and breakfast here in Charleston, so we actually got asked that a lot. I think the best advice is to go somewhere south of Broad Street and just get lost. Just wander um, and read the signs, look into gardens, just absorb the atmosphere of Charleston. Um, Another thing that's great to do is to go on the boat to Fort Sumter, regardless of whether you care about Fort Sumter. It's a great way to get out on the water, and until the early 1900s, 90% of the people that came to Charleston came by boat. And the city's designed to impress you looking from that direction. So I would say go down to that neighborhood and get lost. Take the boat to Fort Sumter. So go. that's my two. Have you got any?
0: Uh, you know, I'm going to go with the bed and breakfast expert, I think. <laughs> I, don't, I wouldn't add much to that. But um, we, ha- there's like 20 questions. It is great. Thank you all. Um, how about, so one of them is, how can we use prayer to ease our anxieties, or anxiousness? Um thoughts on that
1: I think that is a terrific question um, first I would say what you sh- what what will not probably help with that um, some people think that like prayer that involves a mantra is the way to like, de-stress and you're like oh. um, maybe that works for you I, I have not had any good experiences with that but I think that uh, prayer can be very helpful several kinds of prayer Um, One type of prayer that you see in the Psalms a lot, David just pours his heart out to God. He doesn't think about, is this like acceptable? Am I going to like, is God going to strike me with lightning for saying that I'm furious with him and my day sucked? No, you know, you see that in in David's prayers. So I think praying that way, being really honest and just pouring it all out is really important. I think another kind of prayer coming from our Anglican tradition that is really helpful is using some of the prayers that have been written by people who are very deep in their Christian faith in other ages that remind you about the qualities of God um, and his attributes. And I think thirdly, one of the most helpful ways is to pray with someone else and have someone pray for you um, out loud. There's something very powerful about that. Jesus says when two or more gather together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. And I think in a mystical way, we come into Jesus's presence when we pray with someone. I had a friend that had a really tough day on Monday that came over to our house and wanted to pray together. And we ended up having this extraordinary prayer time for about, I don't know, 20 minutes. But one of the things he said was that, you know I felt so alone with this burden before and being able to pray with someone else made all the difference in the world and one of the things we forget because we're sort of uh, independent minded in this country is the Christian faith doesn't really know anything of this idea of me and God against the world it is a body of people that are together walking this pilgrimage together.
0: That's good I I would just to add on to that probably say what isn't helpful in prayer is to focus on you in prayer (laughs) like I mean (laughs) To uh, what I don't know about you, but if you've ever tried to just basically make yourself feel guilty enough to not be anxious, it just doesn't help. Like, just being told, don't be anxious, not going to help, obviously. So w- what does help, in prayer, you're, I think, asking God to remind you of all the ways he has been faithful in your own life, making it as personal as possible, um, I think asking him to remind you in the history of of the ways he's worked. Mm -hmm. To look Mm -hmm. at all this and to cultivate you know, um, Philippians 4 talks about don't be anxious uh, but through prayer and um, with thanksgiving, supplication, with thanksgiving is the key part, uh, present your requests to God. And so it's more than just God help me not be anxious but it's focusing on the things where he has been faithful and being thankful for those, cultivating that is, I think, really important. And to kind of go back on what you said a little bit ago about, you know, the, the om thing, and this is a little bit, you know, sometimes, I mean, simply because Christians are both, I mean, human beings are both body and soul, simply breathing can be helpful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and I wouldn't want to denigrate the fact that taking deep breaths, you know, yeah. actually trying to to calm your mind, to get rid of a scream. We didn't even talk about that. But yeah. all the ways that, um, I mean, our our phones have, and that was one of the things we were going to talk about: is all our habits that we do um, form us in this way. And so the, the screens that we are addicted to, all of us, myself included, like it reinforces the idea. It, it forms us that we are always need to be going and frantic, that we can never put things down, and that's just going to cause anxiety to flourish in your life. And so to to shut off the phone, yes. to shut it off. And to actually go away, to to breathe, some of those things may be very helpful, in addition to focusing your heart on on who God is Mm -hmm. and what he's
1: done. Mm -hmm. And I would add to that, being outside when you pray from time to time can be really helpful. Kneeling when you pray can be really helpful. It seems like that wouldn't matter, but there's an aspect of dependence um, that you're enacting with your body that can help form your soul about that as well. But the interesting thing, the next part of that verse that Justin was quoting from Philippians um, about do not be anxious but present your request to God with prayer and supplication and thanksgiving. And the next verse says and that your heart will be guarded by the peace of God when you do that. And I love that image because it's like somebody literally guarding you um, because you have taken that approach in dealing with anxiety.
0: Um, boy, there's. I, I'm trying to like distill all the questions that are slightly similar and this is rather challenging actually but um, one of these, is really, I think we've touched on this the pursuit of therapy and psychoeducation are occasionally stigmatized by the church absolutely what would you say to a Christian who pursues such things to deal with anxiety I, I feel like we've kind of touched on that I've tried to hit to not stigmatize it totally but I think you do have to be aware that everybody has some sort of worldview that they're looking mm-hmm. at things through. Would you care to?
1: Yeah, I am a huge advocate for therapy and counseling. I think that it is hugely helpful and it's a gift. It's part of the healing um, that I think God wants to work in us through um, human agency. But I do think that it is vitally important what kind of counselor you choose because the the Christian therapy world and the secular therapy world are really different. Christian therapy world, the idea is to listen well and compassionately as we talked about before and then to try to bring the truth of God um, to bear on that situation in a way that's life-giving for the person. Whereas more secular therapy, a lot of it involves um, helping you figure out what your own solution is to your problems and that is not always helpful. Um, there are some things that, as Christians, we would say this is a, a life-giving way um, of approaching things, and this is a way that leads to death. Secular counseling will never say anything leads to death. That's
0: true. Um, all right, we're gonna, uh, we've got a few more here. Um, it seems that Jesus experienced anxiety in Gethsemane, given that... Um, <laughs> whoo- Hematidrosis? Somebody is way smarter than I am. I don't know what that means. I'm (laughs) assuming the sweating blood. Sweating blood. Yeah, all right. So it seems Jesus experienced anxiety in Gethsemane. Um, Not a perfect comparison, but did he take up our anxieties in his passion? Um, And I'm also, I I think, maybe follow-up question. Is is all anxiety bad?
1: Well, I would say certainly not. I think anxiety... um, there can be different kinds of anxiety. I think anxiety for the future, where it is just kind of an unformed shape that's like clouding over you, um, is definitely not healthy. I think anxiety that motivates you to go to God is very healthy. Um, if if the anxiety is not an end in itself, but it's what drives you to God, and makes you realize that you're inadequate in your own resources. And I think that's why... And I would definitely say Jesus took all of any part of anxiety that's sinful, Jesus took that on the cross. But I also think that he models for us in Gethsemane the, the right approach to anxiety because he is in prayer with the anxiety. And he, he closes that prayer um, with, you know, he, he prays honestly the prayer of his heart let this cup pass from me if that's possible. But nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And he puts himself in God's hands. And anxiety that leads you to put yourself in God's hands is good. And I also want to just remind you in that Jesus is surrounded by his friends. Um, They're not awake. Um, He keeps trying to wake them up. But he didn't go alone in that moment that he knew was going to be really troubling. And it's interesting, we always skip this part. When he goes to get somebody, the first thing they do before they go out is they sing a hymn together. And I think there's power in that too about the idea of worship moves your eyes off yourself onto God.
0: I think one of the things we haven't discussed, but um, anxiety or worry or fear, they're simply emotions that point to something that you love being threatened. So if you think about anxiety in that sense, like, it's showing you what you love whenever you're feeling anxious. So if you think about Jesus, um, and even Paul, uh, he mm-hmm. talks about it, the anxiety that he has for the churches. Right. Um, we we can absolutely feel anxious. It's it's a good thing to feel anxious when my daughter is, you know, walking a tightrope on the edge of a building or something like that, you know? <laughs> like, just hypothetically. Not that she's ever done that.
1: Uh, it would be a We need to talk. DSS doctor. would be on my
0: uh, trail. But, no, so... Um, but you're, what you're anxious about in some ways, it can go wrong in two ways. It can go wrong because we love the wrong things
1: mm-hmm.
0: or we love the right things too much. Yep. And that's where it kind of goes back to not trusting God with the things, ultimately loving those things or ourselves more than God mm-hmm. when he wants to give us good things. But Jesus in the garden, I think He is uh, his heart's perfectly in tune with the Father's where mm-hmm. he's loving the right thing to the right degree and he ultimately ends it with not my will be done but yours and i think that is ultimately where we need to end up Mm -hmm. uh, with our anxieties giving voice to it um recognizing it's pointing us to something that we love and then and then asking god to what is it that i'm actually loving when i'm experiencing this experiencing this anxiety Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and um help me understand is that something that's i'm I'm loving too Basically, disproportionately, or is it something that I shouldn't be loving at all?
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, these are great questions. These are a great oh, questions. Good job.
0: This is another one. I wanted to throw this out there. Um, and I guess you can also raise your hand, too, or speak up, but we had so many of them just going off. Um, so feel free to do that. But uh, what about anxiety in the past, like PTSD? Many people with generalized anxiety disorder worry constantly about things that have already happened. Mm-hmm. Um, most of what we've talked about so far has been anxiety being something worrying about the future and and maybe in some ways PTSD remembers the past and is worrying about what's gonna happen in the future Mm -hmm. that's probably projecting the worst-case scenario based on something horrific like abuse or PTSD or something um, in the past
1: well I would say PTSD is a very specific clinical diagnosis and if, if you actually really have that diagnosis, working with a therapist is very important to be able to get past that. I think healing prayer, um, being surrounded by a loving community, all of that is important as well, but I think there's some, there's some hard work with therapy that needs to be done when you're dealing with a PTSD situation. I think more generalized, if it's not really specifically that, but just something hard in the past, um, that again is an area we're sharing deeply and vulnerably um, with an older and wiser Christian friend who can help walk through that with you and can pray for you and help you um, develop some ways of uh, coping and dealing with that can be hugely helpful. The worst thing you can do is to try to say, well, I'm not gonna think about that, that doesn't work. It's just like if I told all of you, do not think about a pink elephant. <laughs> You know, the first thing that comes into your head is pink elephant. So that that sort of avoidance and stuffing does not help.
0: All right, last question before we, before we wrap up. I, I love the honesty of this one. Uh, the six-figure job sucks, your soul, but you can't live on 19000 a year doing what you love, and it seems there's no middle ground. What do I do? That,
1: <laughs> if we could answer that question succinctly, Justin and I would have the six-figure jobs. Yeah. Uh, so, but I do, th- I do think that there, there are some things. And, you know, and I think that is a very real dilemma for a lot of people. And part of it is to take some time to really think about what is important to you and to think about also the fact that tomorrow is not promised. Most of us live in the presumption that we're going to be around until we're 70, 80, 90 years old. And so we can defer joy. And you've seen those bumper stickers probably that say don't postpone joy. And um, I think that's a real thing. So um, if you're in the soul-sucking job, um, I would encourage you to think about whether there may be some ways to switch to something different. And maybe think about maybe there are aspects of your lifestyle that you could let go of that would be okay. And I'm just gonna tell you a really quick vignette. I was went to buy some fresh shrimp at this dock on Shem Creek like two years ago. And I was just blown away by how like really enthusiastic this woman was that was selling me the shrimp. And I kept thinking, gosh, she looks so familiar to me. And so I finally said, I'm so sorry but you know I don't want to be rude, but have I met you somewhere before? And she said, well yeah, I think actually we have met. And she said, I used to be general manager of uh, a very well-known large restaurant in downtown Charleston. And she said, I was making so much money. And she said, but I was working morning, noon, and night. The buck stopped with me, and I was the one that always had to go. And she said, you know, I finally just about had a nervous breakdown. And so I spent some time thinking about what do I love? And she said, what I love is I love the low country. I love the water Um, I love seafood and she said I came and approached the shrimp boat company and she spends three days a week out on the shrimp boat and two days a week working um selling shrimp that she's helped catch um to people and she said I make like a tenth of what I made before um and I have a little apartment instead of my big house and she said I wouldn't trade it for the world so sometimes it's just having the courage to make the jump um yeah. To something different.
0: Yeah. Um, I'll add to that. The um, has anybody heard the book The Common Rule? Justin Whitmill Early. No, maybe. So a few people. Yes. All right. So uh, uh, such
1: a great it's, book. It's a great one. Just,
0: <laughs> uh, so it, the whole premise could be summed up in just one diagram. Basically, it's it's eight habits that were learned by this guy who was a missionary in India. He was there, and then he. Realized I need to actually do stuff on a systemic level to cause real change. So he went to D.C. to try and become a lawyer, and within just a few months, he realized his life was starting to look so different. He was converted to the American lifestyle and um, the American lifestyle of anxiety and busyness and all this stuff. And so he wrote this book saying, trying to answer this question in many ways of, you know, how do I actually... He was a lawyer, so he's working all, you know, All day and night, pretty much. He had a family, a wife and kids. And so he was trying to think creatively, what are some habits that I could instill that would counter, go against, you know, all the things that his job, that was sucking his soul out, you know. And so one of them, for instance, was like not starting the day off by looking at his phone. He Mm -hmm. realized the first thing he did coming back to America is he's waking up and he's checking all of his email from all the stuff that he was supposed to be doing, and then he
1: would feel really anxious. I yeah, exactly.
0: Exactly. All the stuff in in your job that you're supposed to be doing at six o'clock in the morning. Um, but it was even like you know praying, having a time of prayer three times throughout the day to to have rhythms in it. Mm-hmm. Um, to to turn it off, to turn the phone off for an hour <laughs> a day. Um, even these little things can be really um small but intentional ways to help I think in that kind of you know if you're if you're starting out I mean you're a lawyer you know the pace of life if you're yeah. in med school law school whatever there's just going to be busy seasons of life and so um, but it's, it's trying to work against the grain in those to set up habits that are going to really help cultivate your heart to love that which you should love mm-hmm. anything else you would I mean
1: well I would just say one of the things that's so compelling in that book is that this guy was deeply committed to his Christian faith and when he went overseas as a missionary right out of UVA um, with his wife they had like this vibrant spiritual life living in this other country where they were a minority and persecuted and all that and they were just full of joy and then they came back here and he got this great job where he's making a fortune and they were utterly miserable and he said you know what I realized was that when I came back that the the window dressing the interior decor of my life was Christian, but all the architecture, the superstructure was the American success ethic, and that 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 didn't work, it didn't bring any joy, and so the, the habits that he talks about, I really commend that book to you, and I also want to just say, God does call people sometimes to jobs that are really intense and really difficult. And there's a challenge in there of figuring out how to live with purpose and meaning in that. But if God's called you to it, then you will be able to figure out a way to do that. Yeah.
0: Well, boy, this feels... I feel totally inadequate. And giving <laughs> this a topic such as this, like the time of day, I mean, went to a conference on anxiety for like three days, and even that just felt like yep. hitting the tip of Stretching the iceberg.
1: Yeah, on the surface.
0: So th- there's really so much, but I think... Um, we're probably going to call it at this yep. point, and I would love to uh, kind of try to wrap things up. What are maybe a couple takeaways that you would give in just the massive shotgun approach that we just gave to everybody? <laughs> what, what would be a takeaway or two to people maybe in, in summing up what, what all we've talked about?
1: Well, I would say one takeaway is to spend some time considering about where you are spiritually. You know whether that's just like something that happens on Sundays, or if you really uh, have a sense of God's presence in your life, I think that makes a huge difference in feeling whether you have to handle everything yourself or not. The other thing is that when you're dealing with anxiety, don't deal with it alone. Deal with it with people that tr- that you trust. Um, it usually means you're gonna have to take the risk to be vulnerable but it's one of those nothing ventured, nothing gained. God didn't design you to walk those things alone. Um, And then the third thing is just to lean into um, what theologians, I'll use that word since this is theology on tap, um, theologians call natural revelation, which is just the beauty of God's creation, to be able to um, learn to see that and not just bypass it and think about if God cares for and created all that, How much more does he cure for me?
0: Yeah, boy, I we I feel like we really neglected the, I mean, you've mentioned it a couple times, but the role of community, just by even talking to somebody else about really any problem that you're facing, but especially anxiety, when you bring something out in the light, that just goes so far. Um, And like you said, having a friend there who can actually not only listen well, but to offer um, good help is is really important. I, I would add on to that just, you know, what is your anxiety telling you? you know, what, what are the things that it's exposing to you about what you actually love? And then are those things things that you ought to love? Are they disproportionate uh, loves? Um, and, and really seeking the Lord in that. And, and ultimately, the good news in all of this is that we have a God who actually knows every single aspect of you, who knows the words before you speak them. And so he's near to you, even and he's near to the brokenhearted, he's near to those who are anxious. And that's ultimately the greatest comfort, I think, in right. anxiety yeah. is um, is we have a God who sees you and who knows you, who's with you even in those moments. So, um, well, let me offer a quick word of prayer Sounds to good. finish up. And then you don't have to leave. Uh, I think <laughs> we, have, we have till 8.30 in this room, but Brian and I are going to be hanging out for a while. There's a roof couple different places on the roof up there. Um, I'd encourage you to stick around, hang out and chat. So uh, would you pray with me? Father, we do thank you for this opportunity to be together. We thank you for uh, meaningful things to talk about. Uh, We thank you that your word actually talks about these things and that we are able to come and and hear what you have to say on anxiety. We thank you that you draw near to those who are suffering and hurting and anxious and anxious. Lord, help us to see uh, all the areas in our lives that, that maybe aren't conforming to you and that you would give us the courage to, to surrender them to you, knowing that you care for us uh, more than, than anything that we know of, a, of, a he- of an earthly father who cares for his children. So we just thank you for all this good gift. We thank you for the, the people who've uh, served us this evening and, and Henry's on the market for giving us this space. We just thank you for all these many gifts in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So when's our next one? Yes. Next not next week. Not next week, but don't two, come next week. Next it's every other week. <laughs> It'd be great if we could do it every week, but it's <laughs> as of right now, it's every other week. And it's gonna be on friendship. Do you have any friends? <laughs> I don't know. You come make some. We'll make That's some. That's
1: right. Time. We'll be your friend. <laughs>